We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Alright Sam, back again relatively quickly after our last episode and we have a lot to talk about once again. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Very quickly, I would say. This is like, it's been three days, yeah, I think maybe, so. and this yeah. is still not the internal development series that you know yep. I promised people we are going to return to, so that will still be coming early next week, uh, but so much has happened in the past 72, 48 to 72 hours that we just mm-hmm. couldn't... I think neither of us felt like we could just leave it be where we did uh, just reacting to the news after it initially dropped. We had to, I mean, we got to cover all the nuts and bolts of everything that's happened in the past two or three days because it's been a crazy Mm -hmm. two or three days. Yeah. On our last episode, I I mentioned the important parts of what could be coming next. And that was reaction from the owners, reaction from the press and the media and reaction from sponsors. And we now have all of that (laughs) right now, including... I think where we should start, which is the, and this is all, everyone who is, you know, maybe has your head buried in the sand, go back and listen to our last episode. On our last episode, we covered the nuts and bolts of the Robert Sarver report, including some of the most egregious stuff in there. I don't want to have to go through that in every episode, so feel free to go back and listen to that if you'd like to. On this one, we're going to talk about the reactions that have come out since then. The first major thing, and I think there's relatively no reactions to this news until after the NBA had a chance to talk. And that was Adam Silver outside of the Board of Governors meeting held a press conference that was largely about Robert Sarver outside of maybe one question. And this press conference I would describe as embarrassing. (laughs) Embarrassing for the NBA, embarrassing for everyone involved essentially on the NBA's side. And uh, I will give a quick shout out to the reporters that were there. I think they asked asked some very pointed and well-worded questions and held, Sar- uh, held Silver relatively accountable for the decisions that were made in this press conference. There's a couple of things that I want to touch on, but 
Uh, Sam, did you have a chance to watch the whole thing? I know you saw a lot of the clips of it. I saw highlights of this because I was asleep at the time, but I woke up to, yeah, what could only be described as pretty much unanimously negative reception uh, to, yeah, an Adam Silver choke job, if you want to call it that from a PR standpoint. Some uh, have called it the low point of Adam Silver's tenure. I think it was John Schumann that called it that. Uh, and it was. It was in- incredibly embarrassing because the idea of even attempting to defend the decisions that were made is difficult, especially when it boils down to a couple of things. And I just want to say a couple of things that he said that I think is insane. Uh, one, he said the NBA has access to more information that wasn't in the uh, initial report, report. And that's also what led them to the decision that they made, implying that that information is somehow good, by the way. Since this press conference, I have been in contact with a lot of former Suns employees, and I can tell you that there are a lot of bad things that are not in the report as well that they told the investigators. So the concept that there is some like saving grace of information that only Adam Silver has access to, and therefore that's enough to to reduce essentially reduce the sentence that was handed down to Robert Sarver to something as small as what it was. Uh, is an absurd notion to me and it was bizarre to hear him even say that you know like just you know i think zach Lowe on his podcast said it was like adam silver went out there and said just trust me guys trust me (laughs) it's just just insane yeah um that was bad uh there was one particular sticking point after that though which is what i think people were really referencing that i assume you have down there on your notes uh, are you talking about the owners having different standards? That really is what it is. Like, yeah. I think if there's anything that that came out of that presser that I really saw people hammer Silver on, which I think almost like the way I described it to to you privately was like turn to new page uh, in the NBA. I think is is kind of historical in some aspects. Not because I think it's actually a change, maybe um, in the way that the NBA leadership thinks. But certainly it's a it's a change in the way that the NBA leadership is um, expressing itself publicly. And I think opened the eyes of a lot of media members who maybe had previously, I don't know, been writing positive think pieces about how progressive a league this is and and how good a job they're doing compared to the other commissioners uh, in the big four in America. Uh, And I think after this after this presser and particularly after that one quote is what I'm going to remember forever, just owners are entitled to certain rights by virtue of being the owners of their teams. So they don't need to be held to the same standard. Of course, yeah. I'm paraphrasing here. He but did they it. Don't... It's, it's just different. It just is, which yeah. I hate when people do that because it's his responsibility to explain why. Right. When you say it just is and then don't explain why, then that's just a cop out. You're, you're avoiding all responsibility of your job to explain to the people why it matters. And uh, yeah, it, hey, it was a bizarre exchange. I mean, yeah, like he's right. But he yes, said it's true. He said the quiet part out loud, and he was not exactly supposed to do that. I mean, it put Silver in a bind because you know he really. I mean, what what better way to kind of demonstrate that his entire job there is to be a, to protect the owners, to be a bullet shield for the for the yeah, owners essentially? Because what he could have he easily said is, "I spoke to the owners. I didn't have seventy five percent of the vote in order to remove him as an owner." You know, and and he didn't say that, and I'm guessing he did. By the way. Uh, speak to the owners and have that level of conversation. He claimed that he didn't have any conversations about that. Another thing he said was, and this was, I think this was one of the things that bothered me the most. 
the implication that throughout the the interviews that they held, they heard about all the horrible things that Robert Sarver has done, but they also heard about some of the good things he's done. And this concept that over the course of 18 years, a lot of this stuff was from the past and, and he's gotten better over the course of the years. It essentially boiled down to the I have a black friend defense of racists. You know, like I I'm, can't be racist. I have a black friend. That's essentially how Adam Silver boiled down his defense of Robert Sarver. Yes, Robert Sarver has done all these horrible things, but also he did a few good things in that time. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea that those good things somehow paint over all of the horrible things he did over the course of 18 years is such a bizarre explanation for Silver and only amounted to him defending him. Mm-hmm. He was just defending Robert Sarver. How can you describe it as anything other than that? I mean, to our knowledge, that this investigation, what was it, 300 employees? Think mm-hmm. they think think they questioned 300 employees? Obviously, mm-hmm. not all 300 employees reported like abuse by Sarver on a personal level. In fact, most did not. Right. I think it was like two thirds said, "No, this didn't happen to me." That's yeah. still a over a hundred people reported stuff. That's still a very very yeah. high failure rate and a very yes. wide reach. Over what the level of would it have years? had to have been for Silver to take more action? I think is the type of question that you would have to ask to that because if that's not enough, I'm not sure what is. Bizarre. A bizarre, bizarre press conference. And I think that, um, I don't know, it just, there's no real defense of, of Sarver. So Silver to have to come out there and do that obviously was going to fail. And I think it's an embarrassment for the NBA. Beyond that, there has been a lot of reactions since then. And I think we have to just touch on every single one because ultimately I think all of these have uh, individual levels of importance and impact Big, yeah. that could all add up to something bigger. It's been a big old game of dominoes, I think, with yeah. them the past 48 hours. Yeah, I'm going to try and go in relatively chronological order based on when things happened uh, because things did happen at different times. Uh, the first thing was the vice chairman of, or sorry, the executive director of the NBA Players Association. Her name is Tamika Tremaglio, I believe is how you pronounce it. Uh, she released a statement that said a lot, but the main crux of it I think the most damning part of it was that she said, I've made my position known to Adam Silver regarding my thoughts on the extent of the punishment and strongly believe that Mr. Sarver should never hold a managerial position within our league again. And her job, of course, is to represent the players. Now, I think there has been very little player response and it's likely because they rely on somebody like Tamika to put out a response like this to us to so to assume that this to some extent represents how the majority of players feel is probably a pretty safe assumption and to my knowledge as far as people associated with the NBA she was the first person to say that Sarver should not hold that position within the NBA yeah I (laughs) To be honest, I think it's a pretty safe assumption that even if she hasn't spoken to every NBA player, right? Yeah. Poll the NBA. Poll the entire league on on their opinions about a 60-year-old white man using the N-word. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just a a basic agree or disagree, (laughs) approve, disapprove poll and and kind of see what the results are. I think, like you're saying, it's a pretty safe assumption 
um, that she speaks for the majority of the players there. That being said, I think it was important uh, and, and, and I guess just noteworthy would be the word here that I would use for this. Noteworthy that, like you're saying, she was the first one to come out and use that language mm-hmm. uh, in terms of wielding influence. You know, words are words, I would say. And in her particular position, this statement was about as far as she could go. Um, just express disapproval, well, speak for the players in some instance, uh, but we're not we're not talking about a real power move here at this stage. This was just kind I, of the beginning. I hate to just spring this on you right now, but since we just started recording, it was posted online that Tamika appeared on NBA Today on ESPN with Malika Andrews. Oh, wow. Malika Andrews asked her directly, are you calling for oh Robert Sarver to be banned for life? Wow, they just posted this. Okay. And she said, we are absolutely calling for that. So I am Tamika, speaking on behalf of our players. Yeah, yes. Malika Andrews just posted this. Yeah, wow. I just saw that. It's kind of crazy. As we were talking about her, this was this was posted online uh, just now at 1.04 p.m. Uh, and yeah, uh, well, just okay. a few minutes ago for us. Let's say, um, let's just say that I believe that this has been her position from the beginning. I also believe that there are certain circumstances that have happened since the original statement that have maybe now allowed her to come out and make a TV yes. appearance and even be yes. even more forceful in her demand. Which we will get to what those are as well. Yeah. yeah. But I do think the clarity of statements by all involved is very important. And to say it as, as clearly as possible, not only do I believe it not, he should not be in a managerial position, which I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on that a little bit more later, but to say I'm speaking on behalf of the players and I'm asking for him to be banned for life, it can't get more clear than that, what they want and what she's asking for. It cannot get more clear than that. They are saying that the NBA failed the players in not going far enough with the punishment. Of course, they don't want Robert Sarver. And I think, to for the record, I think Adam Silver doesn't want Robert Sarver to be an owner either. It's just a headache for him. Of course, he doesn't want that. But the extent of his power and what he could wield, and as I talked about either online or on our last episode, Adam Silver could have gone further, and he didn't. And she's making it very clear that he should have gone further. And I think there is some possibility of the NBA revisiting this as well and potentially even changing their position on this if public outcry and backlash by players in particular is large enough. So shout out to Tamika. I think that is very, very clear. When we talk about players, though, there's no player more famous than LeBron James. This was big. And this was huge. I this think LeBron really James coming big. out on Twitter as the first player, first, I should say, first current player to say anything. And I'll just read his. Read through the stories, read through the Sarver stories a few times now. I got to be honest, our league definitely got this wrong i don't need to explain why y'all read the stories and decide for y'all read the stories and decide for yourself i said it before and i'm gonna say it again there's no place in this league for that kind of behavior i love this league and i deeply respect our leadership but this isn't right there's no place for misogyny sexism and racism in any workplace don't matter if you own the team or play for the team we hold our league up as an example of our values, and this ain't it. The sentiment of, I said it before, I'm going to say it again, there's no place in this league for that kind of behavior, is almost word for word what LeBron James said about Donald Sterling in the Donald Sterling story. So LeBron James went on Twitter 
Obviously, LeBron James is the most famous NBA player. He has 52.2 million followers on Twitter Insane. and released his statement on his own yeah. before anyone, uh, before any players, and spoke essentially. And, and I think what's interesting about LeBron as a player, as a person, I think he takes the responsibility of saying something like this really seriously. And look, you can have all the GOAT debates as, as you want, but Michael Jordan did not. And, and LeBron James does. And for him to speak out on this, I think it shows I think it shows his character, but I think it shows his willingness to talk about something in particular like this that has a direct impact on the players in the league who he represents to some extent. And I think this was massive. This was absolutely massive. Look, LeBron's both an activist and a businessman. He's is he officially a billionaire now? I think he crossed yes, that threshold recently. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Michael Jordan is just a businessman, and people are he's worth come more back. than Robert Sarver. <laughs> yes, he absolutely is, and he is going to. I've been joking that he could retire now and get involved on a bid for the Suns. Um, my honest opinion is that that's rather unlikely. However, my true opinion is that very soon into the future, the NBA is going to announce expansion to 32 teams it's an inevitability within the next five years and um i would be willing to bet that lebron gets in on one of those two ownership groups when two new teams pop up anyway the point is lebron is an activist as well as a businessman michael jordan was only a businessman people are going to say well look lebron is selective in his activism that's absolutely true that being said the whataboutism here isn't particularly helpful and on this particular issue he showed out and his sheer reach his sheer ability to be a household name and to turn this into like kind of just a longer lasting national story, uh, not, you know, that, that extends beyond the world of sports. That's mm -hmm. what this did with LeBron. Um, so, yeah, just an absolutely huge time for, for him to put out that statement for sure. I, uh, I think the, his focus, Tamika's focus, and Chris Paul, who we're going to talk about next, on the league getting this wrong. I also think was important because they're not just condemning the behavior of Robert Sarver. There's nothing easier than condemning the behavior of Robert Sarver. But to be very clear that they think the punishment that the NBA chose was not enough, I think was important in this scenario because sure. you, you can you can make any case that you want that it's complicated and, and you probably can't force Robert Sarver to sell the team uh, against his will. You're probably right that that maybe Silver couldn't have done that, but as I said before on our last episode, there's a there's a chasm, there's a gulf between a one year suspension and forcing a, an owner to sell the team, and a wide variety of punishments that they could have doled out that they did not. And for LeBron James and Tamika to be very clear on that, I think was really important. And I think LeBron James, and we're going to talk about sponsors later. I have a feeling LeBron James had some effect on those sponsors mm -hmm. uh, because, look, as as big as this story was, 52 million followers is more. There are people in the NBA world and outside the NBA world that found out about this story through LeBron James. Many people. Many the, people, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. And so that's huge for him to on say. A, on a slightly lighter note, people were pointing out here, you know, this was a three or four tweet thread, right? And LeBron did not include a single emoji, nor did he include a single hashtag. Now, people yeah, who follow man. LeBron James on social media, and particularly Twitter, awesome. noticed yeah. that that was, um, that was significant, I guess. That was different for LeBron. So that's yeah. how you knew it was serious, when he's not breaking out the hashtags, just a kid from, from Akron, Ohio, or whatever. 
That's how yeah. you know it's he's taking it seriously. Yeah, it's not marketing. Right, right. It's 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 in particular a very serious statement that he put a lot of thought into. And uh and look, none of the I mentioned this before too. I'm going to repeat it again. Forgive me for continuing to do this, but I think it's important to reiterate none of the players have to do this and none of the players should have to do this. It's unfortunate that they have to do this. And I think the NBA kind of set them up to because the NBA's punishment was clearly not enough. And I think that was pretty made very clearly when Adam Silver struggled to defend it. So in some respect, I think the NBA knew that this would happen and maybe in some ways hoped it would happen because the level of which they could go or the public pressure of which they could put on him is is magnified when the players who are the famous parts of the league put more pressure on either the the league as a whole or Robert Sarver to sell the team. So it's unfortunate that they were put in this position. They don't have to do it, and they did. And the first Suns player to talk about it was Chris Paul, which is, I think, Sam, we both would agree on this, that's who you would want it to be, right? <laughs> also, it was no surprise that we were... You know, all we talked about last episode was, yeah. uh, we talked about more than this, but like in terms of the Suns players, when is Chris Paul going to put out a statement? He yeah. was the guy we expected to hear from for sure. Yeah, uh, The longest tenured player on the team, the most famous player, I think that's pretty clear. And then the obvious, which is that he was on the Clippers when the Donald Sterling saga went down and showed a lot of leadership in that situation. Chris Paul said on Twitter, like many others, I reviewed the report. I was and am horrified and disappointed by what I read. This conduct, especially towards women, is unacceptable and must never be repeated. I am of the view that the sanctions fell short in truly addressing what we can all agree was atrocious behavior. My heart goes out to all of the people that were affected. And I think the most important part of this statement I am of the view mm-hmm. that the sanctions fell short in truly addressing what can, what we can all agree was atrocious behavior. Chris Paul pointing out that the punishment doled out to Robert Sarver by the NBA, onus once again on the NBA, was not enough. And I think that was clear. I, I'll be honest, I was hoping that he would say something like, uh, somebody like this should not own an NBA team because there is no denying that. But as far as someone who is playing for Robert Sarver right now, technically, this was a strong statement. And and being very clear in his intentions to say that the NBA did not do enough was important. Yeah. And he did. Yeah, that was the key takeaway from this one. But ultimately, I do think a lot of people shared your opinion that they were disappointed that he didn't go further. I guess the response to that is just like, if you were expecting him to make an outright threat, and I know you weren't, at least no, I don't yeah. think you. I mean, it would have right? been great <laughs> yeah. if he if he straight up said, "Get this guy out of here! Or I'm not playing this or I'm season." Not playing, yeah. I think there are certain people who are hoping for something like that, and I would just say in response to that, like, I don't think Chris by himself has all that much power in terms of, you know, he has a contract, right? So the the only way that works as a legitimate threat is if the players make a joint decision to all band together and say we're not going to allow this organization to field a roster we are all going to boycott and monty williams i think would have to be included in that decision as well or the coaching staff um i would i still wouldn't 
I think there's a very small percent chance of that happening. However, I wouldn't entirely rule out the possibility of the team coming to some type of joint decision like that. Uh, and then, you know, waiting until training camp or, or preseason or whenever to actually go through with it. Again, I think it's unlikely, but it is possible. It's just more so if you were expecting Chris to come out and be like, I'm not playing. Well, Chris by himself, like he needs Book. He needs Aiton. Yeah. He needs all the other guys to agree to do to to, to mm-hmm. do it. Uh, especially yeah. all the guys with much smaller salaries than he has, if we're being honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's just it puts him in a tough position, you know, because if Chris like by himself just sat out, what's going to happen? They're going to turn him into a villain. There's going to be a Tucker Carlson segment on him tomorrow. There's going to yeah. be like, you know, death threats like posted on Truth Social. Like, you know, we, we know how it works at this point, right? Like they would give him the Kaepernick treatment. So by himself doesn't necessarily hold a lot of power. That would have to be more of a, a, a team wide decision. Well, uh, I, and ideally I think and, that's why NBA that's wide, happen. right? Ideally. Yeah. Uh, recently, Steph Curry was asked about the Donald Sterling situation. He said one of his biggest regrets was not boycotting as in as all of the players together to get rid of Donald Sterling and I think for somebody you know if you're talking about most influential players in the NBA LeBron James and Steph Curry are neck and neck to be honest and (laughs) both fans of both of those players will be mad at that statement but if you're if you want an, an impact beyond the Suns all of the players banding together I think is what would have the largest impact. It doesn't just have to be Suns players, but I would call this an escalation, an escalation of events. I think everyone within the NBA gave the NBA a chance to defend themselves. And when they fumbled that to the extent that they did with Adam Silver, just botching an entire 35 minute press conference about it, it escalated the NBA players association, executive director, asked for him to be gone. LeBron James said the NBA didn't do enough. And then that's the most influential player in the world. Maybe the most influential athlete in the world. Chris Paul, the most influential athlete on the Phoenix Suns was next. And that is, I think a level of escalation. It's getting bigger. It's getting more important. And the way that the reactions were sort of staggered over time has kept this in the news in a way I think that's important for people who believe not enough was done. Things coming out sort of consecutively is good for this story to evolve and continue. If it were all just dumped at once, there would not be enough time and airspace to properly process all of it. And I think the way it's been rolling out is good. Uh, The next thing I want to mention is the city of Phoenix put out a statement. And this was from Mayor Kate Gallego and some uh, local city council members and they condemned all of the actions of Robert Sarver and then they said that the mayoral staff Kate Gallego's staff is now investigating if anything needs to be done by the mayor's office in order to uh, uh, well just to see if anything can be done I think the the understanding of what the mayor's office could do uh, it's complicated because did he break the law? Well, I think that in <laughs> that depends on who you ask and also how long ago it was because there are a statute of limitations on that. If you want more on that, I suggest listening to the last episode of The Low Post where they uh, gave some perspective from high-powered lawyers as to whether or not Robert Sarver broke the law, um, at least from a civil sense. Uh, and 
I don't think that's what they're thinking in this case. The city owns Footprint Center. They own the arena. Oh, yeah. I think that's that's the important part of this situation. Uh, Robert Sarver is renting the arena and has a contract with the city of Phoenix in order to have Suns games there. So as far as stakeholders in all of this, the city's involved. And I think maybe their level of investigation has more to do with seeing what level of power they have and maybe encouraging him to leave uh, than necessarily uh, coming at him with the full book of the law. And again, it's it's mounting pressure more so than anything else. But to the people who are scoffing at the concept completely of, oh, what can the mayor's office do? All of your tax dollars that go towards funding this stadium because the billionaire owner is too cheap to pay for it himself. And this is not just a Phoenix problem, as we know. This is an entire North American professional sports problem. And this is the case with most arenas and arena renovations that occur these days. Is owners hold local politicians hostage uh, for public taxpayer money in order to you know, make improvements uh, and, and renovate or even in some cases build new arenas? Um, what yeah. is that then for? if not to flip it around and use as some sort of leverage in a time like this. Um, because if Robert Sarver owned Footprint Center outright, then yes, you can guarantee the mayor's office would not be involved. But because that is not the case, the mayor's office definitely has the right to get involved yeah. and at, at, at the very least, like investigate, like they yeah. are saying. Again, well, they, to score free political points. Uh, it, of course, you know, it's because it's the city is on their points. side in this. Yeah, it's all political points. I, you know, I'm not going to give anyone the impression that Anyone in these statements, uh, it, you know, maybe a couple of people, but anyone from the mayor's office or in the statements we're about to announce as well that came afterwards, these are not coming out of the good of these people's hearts. It's to score political points. It's to save uh, PR brownie points. Like, you know, that's the way it is. Yeah. Um, but if that's the way it is, then, you know, at least reward them for being on the right side, I suppose. Well, I do think in in some level, at the very least, public pressure has the largest impact on the city of Phoenix and what they're doing compared to everything else. Because as much as we want to act like fans could organize enough to have like an impact on the profits that these people are going to make, that's not going to last a long time. No, effectively. We, no. Ultimately we love basketball and we're still going to watch basketball and it's going to be difficult to some, if some of you want to leave and not be a fan of the Suns anymore, I wouldn't blame you. It's just a, it, the idea of enough people doing that to have a large impact on on the cynical side of this is the money. Yeah, uh, well, is incredibly I mean, unlikely. And you could even, you know, you could stop going to the team store. You don't buy any more jerseys. You don't go to games anymore. You don't buy tickets. But like at the end of the day, if you watch at all, such a large percentage of the team's revenue, I think we already touched on this last episode, but is generated through that TV that TV deal, that TV contract. That money's flowing regardless of whether you watch the Suns or not this season. So right. I think it, it is really difficult for fans to make a long-term impact uh, on the bottom line without getting bigger players involved. This is why we say technically it shouldn't fall on the players to have to speak out like Chris Paul, LeBron James, or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. A, one LeBron James's impact is equal to <laughs> maybe what one to five million fans can do. You know, like yeah. it, it really does make that much of a difference. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's a good way of putting it. And yes, yeah, so, so we'll see what happens out of that. I, I'll be 100% honest, just from my perspective, um, nothing is probably going to come out of that investigation. Uh, that would be my view of things too. But then, Mike... But I, I do think, though, I will say, all of what we're talking about that could happen, I think there is a level of private pressure, behind-the-scenes pressure, 
being put on Robert Sarver that could have a mounting impact over time. So as much as maybe nothing will happen publicly, it you know if the mayor calls Robert Sarver and says, hey, I think you should sell the damn team, man. Get, get the hell out of here. You make a bunch of money, disappear for a while. Your image will be not repaired, but maybe people will forget for a while, and then you can just go live as a billionaire in peace. I think that could have some level of impact. When everyone seems to hate you, I mean, I know people keep telling me, like, you know, on Twitter, Sam, he doesn't care about that. He just wants to be rich. But if you could be rich with a lot of people hating you, or if you could be rich with a lot of people leaving you alone and having relative peace, I don't know. I think a lot of people eventually would take the latter option. There's um, no scenario where he's not rich. <laughs> you know? Right, exactly. Like, if he just wants to be rich, every scenario here, he's rich. There's no scenario where he's not. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, so the last thing, or the next thing that we want to talk about, the next level of escalation that comes in this, is Jom Najafi, who is somebody that we've talked about extensively on this podcast, released an open letter to the employees and players of the Phoenix Suns. Suns in this session. <laughs> it, yes, it is. It is from, you know, the call is coming from within the house, if you will. The letter he uh, first of all i think he very deftly apologizes to the people who he believes were sort of not served by the nba's decision and thanks them for coming out against them but the main crux of this is he calls for robert sarver to resign he said i cannot in good judgment sit back and allow our children and future generations of fans think that this behavior is tolerated because of wealth and privilege. Therefore, in accordance with my commitment to helping eradicate any form of racism, sexism, and bias as vice chairman of the Phoenix Suns, I'm calling for the resignation of Robert Sarver. While I have no interest in becoming the managing partner, I will work tirelessly to ensure the next team steward treats all stakeholders with dignity, professionalism, and respect. A co-owner of the Phoenix Suns very, very publicly called for the resignation, which I think is interesting wording, of Robert Sarver as the managing partner of the Phoenix Suns. This was a strong statement. It was. This was maybe the strongest statement so far. 
mm-hmm. uh, and the most influential potentially as well, because as we know, we've been talking up John Najafi on this podcast for literally a year now, or 10 months, whenever the investigation first came out. November, and yeah. everyone should know by now, if you've been listening to us, uh, or if you've just been looking at the other reporting, because it's out there, it's public info, he is the second largest stakeholder um, in the Suns. What percentage that is, is not clear, by the it's way. It's not clear. It, and I do know for a fact, too, that his brother also owns a small stake in the Suns as well. So yes. combined, they have a larger percentage together. Gambo has been pointing that out to people who are saying Najafi. And he said, like, specifies which one. Jam is the one that, that you want to be talking about. So, yeah, the pure mathematics of creating a coalition here for majority ownership, we don't know that. And I think ultimately here the hang-up is that Jam says the right things for three or four or five straight paragraphs in a row. He's saying exactly what you want to hear. And then at the end, he kind of like eases maybe the the internal fears within the organization of him staging a coup. And he says, I have no personal desire to be the managing director, to be the majority owner. And you think, well, shit, they still need Sarver to want to sell and they still need someone else to come either from the inside or the outside, but probably more likely from the outside uh, with a bid here to become the majority owner. But I still think Jom's word was very important here. I still think at this point, he was a lone wolf when he went against Sarver when the investigation first came out 10 months ago. And he's yeah. still a lone wolf now. The other owners But, but have history is looking a lot kinder on that lone wolfism <laughs> to, to start Absolutely. With. The, the owners have still not, the other minority owners, I mean, have still not come over to Jom's side. But frankly, at this point, it looks like only a matter of time. And on that note, by the way, and we'll continue on Jom in a second, but just to add to that, one of the co-owners who did not come out against Robert Sarver and, in fact, signed a statement in support of Robert Sarver when the investigation was announced has been named the interim managing partner. And his name is Sam Garvin, uh, which, by the way, that from my understanding, that is not official just yet, but that is the process to make that official has begun. If something can hold that up, I'd be surprised. But Robert Sarver was involved with picking this person. Uh, so where it could have been John Najafi, who very publicly came out against Robert Sarver and in support of the people speaking up against him, it was not, who also, by the way, by all measures, has the most rightful uh, case to be made as the person in charge because he owns the second largest stake in John Najafi. It was not named John Najafi. Why? Well, because Robert Sarver had a say in it. I think that's why. One of the more and, uh, absurd parts of the quote-unquote punishment to begin with, right? That he yes. gets to choose a mouthpiece if, for a year. If I'm just going to if I'm gonna fully conspiracy theory this, by the way, I think what likely happened, and Adam Silver did not cop to this, is that they wanted to punish Robert Sarver further. Robert Sarver threatened to sue them and threatened litigation if they did. This is all speculation. And I think that the NBA likely reduced the punishment, included the phrase about not having racial animus or sexual animus in the report, and allowed him to choose the person in order for him to agree to the one-year $10 million uh, punishment. That's my expectation of all of this, because the phrase no racial and sexual animus is bizarre and should not have been included. The only reason it is is to make Robert Sarver somehow look better. Yeah. and, and him choosing the person that should have never been part of this. If he's not supposed to be making decisions, well, he's making the most important one right now, right? Isn't the idea that he doesn't make decisions 
naming somebody that is essentially his buddy buddy that yeah. supported him throughout this instead of the people who were speaking up against him is insane. It's completely insane. At that point, it truly is just a one-year vacation. Just a one-year yeah. vacation, choose your friends. Where he friend can just to... call his friend and tell him to do whatever he wants. Yeah, it's no, it's it's absurd. And like you're saying, it smells of some sort of legal appeasement on the part of the NBA, and and that would be the only reason why. But again, speculation, we don't know. Um, but yeah, that's what it looks like. It's bizarre. Yeah, and John, on the other side of that, uh, was the only owner to step out on his own and say that he supported the, the people, essentially, in this case. John, of course, is not some sort of uh, angel from heaven to fix all of our problems. He's not. But saying the right things in a position of power is still important, and that's what he's doing right now. And I think that helps us out a lot in this scenario as Suns fans who think that there's not enough happening for this. Calling for the resignation, I don't think this has ever happened in the history of the NBA. This is the first time there has been some level of mutiny at least in an ownership group. I don't I'm not enough of an NBA historian to tell you with like to guarantee that it's never happened, but at least so publicly. Yeah, uh, well, and it's not my lifetime. So publicly and on moral grounds because that's like right. cutting at the heart of like John Again, other stuff continued to happen after John. We still have to cover more. This is how much yeah. has happened in the past few days, but it's like if the other owners now come to the side of John, they're not doing it because of their moral integrity they're doing it for like we we're talking about on the last episode fiduciary reasons they have a fiduciary yeah. responsibility um to oversee the economic health of the phoenix suns and and also a personal responsibility because the phoenix suns are their investment jam right. is a little bit different because again we're not saying he's an angel from heaven but he is the only one um on moral grounds to kind of so publicly object to this behavior and that, I don't know that that's ever happened in the history of the NBA, that you see mm -hmm. mutinous behavior within an NBA ownership on moral grounds, not purely economic ones. Yeah, and it was huge, right? It was massive for John to do that. And I, I'm uh, for, for, for people who have been following this podcast, probably not surprising uh, based on everything that I have known about John in the past that I have heard from people who are uh, associated with him. None of this is surprising. I think that he has made it very clear, him and his brother, from my understanding, have made it very clear that they do not think Robert Sarver is fit to own the Phoenix Suns and that he should not own them. And I think that the rest of the world is on his side. Some people have made the case, Suns fans have, Suns fans have not wanted him to be the owner for a long time. Why would that make any difference now? And, and just to quickly contend that, we in the past have made the case that Robert Sarver should not be the owner of an NBA team because he was bad at it. And by that, I mean making decisions to make the NBA team good to conflate that. And to compare that to not wanting him to be the owner of an NBA team because he's said racist and sexist things and treated employees like shit for 18 years is completely different. Those should not be compared. I think the, the stance and the position that fans are taking in this it, for the most part, at least from what I've seen is that they don't want him to be an owner because of these things. Look, the fact that he's a terrible owner, uh, yes, might have some impact on a lot of fans minds, but this is completely different. I think, and, and I think the responses by the rest of the world, uh, is making that clear. Uh, but yes, John Najafi calls for a resignation. I think John Najafi broke down the situation in very clear words as well. And I want to quickly just read 
what he said once again. I'm calling for the resignation of Robert Sarver. Now, I point that out because I just want to make a point on some of the things that we've seen uh, so far with these statements that were made. Tamika asked for him to be banned for life, but she also said, Mr. Sarver, this is in her statement, should never hold a managerial position within our league again. So asking for the resignation, saying that he should not hold a managerial position uh, is, is very specific wording. And the reason I bring these things up is because I think the way things have been worded by specific entities and specific parties within this could potentially be setting up a situation where Sarver could still be the owner of the team, but not the the managing partner. So he could still own his 35% stake, but he is no longer involved in the decisions that the Suns make. Because asking for him to resign is not asking for him to sell the team. Asking for him to not hold a managerial position within our league again by Tamika is not asking for him to sell the team. And in fact, I would make the case that the wording is very clear and very specific in the way that Tamika and John Najafi ask for it in that they're trying to almost set up the idea that, fine, if you don't want to sell, don't, but you shouldn't be in the position of making decisions and treating people like shit for this team ever again. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, Sam? I think it's interesting. Uh, I think it sort of points to a lack of leverage to some extent, which I think maybe is not necessarily what people want to hear. But what's the worst case scenario is probably something that we should be talking about, right? What if after all of this momentum, including the financial momentum that we still haven't even gotten to, uh, ultimately, he's just one really stubborn dude and he wants to cling on to that power and he wants to cling on to that position. Could he resist the calls from Jom, from the NBA Players Association, from even the commissioner's office, let's say if they come down harder on him? Um, unfortunately, it kind of feels like the answer we're leaning towards is technically yes. Do you have a response to that? And and like what we would do at that point? If, if I'm sorry, if, if what exactly? If, if Sarver is so stubborn as to resist all of these calls for his resignation and just yeah, say, I want to no, talk gonna- about that. Let's, let's, let's hold off. Cause there's one more part of the story. I think, okay, and then okay. I think we should talk about what's next. Talk about the financial pressures first and then maybe get to that. PayPal. Yes. The Jersey patch sponsor released a statement relatively long, a few paragraphs, but the, the crux of it is essentially in light of the findings. I'm reading directly from it in light of the findings of the NBA investigation, we will not renew our sponsorship should Robert Sarver remain involved with the Suns organization after serving his suspension. This could not be more clear. And this is an excellent statement by PayPal compared to Kia, by the way, which we could quickly <laughs> Shame mention, on you. Which Shame said on nothing. you, Kia. There's- now, for the record, I will say the difference here. PayPal is a Suns sponsor. Kia is a league sponsor. I mean, when, Kia, but Kia is also a Sun sponsor. They're a league sponsor, but they're also specifically a Sun sponsor. Yeah, but I, I think to to sever ties with the league as a whole because one team is very badly managed. I, I just in some in some respects I understand that, but I want to point out that during the Donald Sterling saga, there was a point where the Clippers played a game and all of the league sponsors sponsorship like actual like photos and stuff were covered up. Because those sponsors wanted nothing to do with the Clippers in that moment. 
So league sponsors, sun sponsors, whatever you want to call it, they all have a responsibility in this. And for PayPal to say very clearly that they, they will just not renew their sponsorship, I think is a direct blow to the most important thing to the NBA and to the owners that own the team. Money. They're threatening to take money out of their pockets. And for league sponsorship, for Jersey Pat spo- sponsorship, that's probably like $10 million, I think, is how much PayPal paid uh, in previous seasons. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money that I could mean, be potentially lost. In and this. again, the equivalent to a lot of fan boycotts, right? So we've ratcheted this way up from the individual burden that is on a fan who wants to make a difference in this all the way up to the macro level major forces that actually get shit done in this league. And yeah. this was huge. I mean, now the, these other minority owners don't really have a choice, in my opinion, but to start siding with John if they want to protect their investment. Because which yes. company, understandably, PayPal cannot break their contract with the Suns right now. They still have one year to go. So the, the I, I think they probably could ask for the, the, the players to not play with the patch. They, they might, might not be able to get their able. money back yeah, exactly. that they paid for the Suns, but I think they could probably ask for their, you know, they could cover up the patches. I don't know if you Regardless, remember the scenario where they covered up the Clippers logo it's still, in the Sterling situation. It's still strong language for them to say that at the end of this contract they will not renew. And which company wants to fall on the sword at that point? Right. You know, who's going to come in? Who would want to be associated with the jersey patch sponsorship that signs on the year that robert sarver returns to the phoenix suns if we're being entirely honest i have some ideas but i'm not gonna throw them out <laughs> yeah they would all be jokes right i mean i have it, i have a lot of jokes but yeah i'm, yeah. I'm gonna hold off <laughs> yeah i mean it's right you would have to be a joke <laughs> to do that because you're essentially uh, aligning yourself with someone who did all the things that Robert Sarver did, which, by the way, read the full report. I, I, I'll say it again and again and again. It's 34 pages. It's not that long. Read the full report. It's horrible if you want a true picture on what happened. But for PayPal to come out and do this, I think, is a massive, massive step in the right direction in potentially harming the pockets of the owner uh, and and the entire league as a whole. Now, I'm just going to recap everything we talked about. and This is all since... The last episode since everything was announced, we recorded a few hours after the initial report was released. The embarrassing press conference by Adam Silver. The NBA Players Association executive director made a statement. LeBron James tweeted out his statement. Chris Paul tweeted out his statement. The city of Phoenix announced that they're investigating the situation. Sam Garvin was named the interim managing partner. John Najafi calls for the resignation of Robert Sarver. PayPal released a statement saying they will not renew their sponsorship if Robert Sarver remains involved with the Phoenix Suns real, uh, organization. Real quick, by the way, I just want to say a shout out to all the fans on social media who put some pressure on PayPal. They are directly tagging them. Kia as well obviously disappointed us with their statement, but there are other sponsors still out there that you can continue to target. Footprint, who obviously have the naming rights to the arena. Um, Verizon has a sponsorship with the Suns. Uh, I believe FanDuel has a sponsorship with the Suns. There are a couple mm-hmm. others that I'm missing, but there are other companies that have still been quiet through this. I just wanted to point that out. So the obvious question and the question that I've been getting a lot is now what? What happens next? First of all, are there levels of escalations to this that could go further? Yes. Sam just mentioned other sponsors that could come out and say something. There are 
450 other NBA players that could say something, and they all could. There could be a level of a threat, like some sort of threat to not play, some sort of threat to boycott games by the players. That's another level of escalation that this could go to. And I think Tamika going on NBA Today and saying that the players are calling for uh, Robert Sarver to be banned could point to some level of willingness for the players to do something using their union to to force something more severe to happen could the nba change their punishment that's a that's something that's been brought up uh by people a lot more uh connected than me somebody like zach lowe or baxter holmes have mentioned that those are all things that could happen now the obvious question i think remains could the sun's minority owners vote to oust robert sarver and i've done a lot uh, a lot of research on this uh and my understanding of that is it's almost impossible without criminal activity to do it on the grounds uh of some sort of morality clause being broken so even though there is evidence from over 100 people my understanding is that's very unlikely that means that if robert sarver were to essentially be forced to sell the team it would not be through legal grounds it would have to be through public and private pressure this is my understanding of the situation here and what that means is all of the minority owners would have to be on the same page of telling robert sarver look maybe we're willing to go to the vote but i think you should just sell because you're not giving us the best opportunities here maybe they can make a case that he's not making the most money for them maybe they could vote based on that but amounting public pressure amounting private pressure a loss of money all of that together and a potential, especially a potential threat of the players to not play, all of that together could lead to Robert Sarver selling. But I'll be 100% honest with the people listening to this podcast. I think he has to choose to sell. And I think that's really the only way we're going to get this done. You brought up, Sam, the possibility of him saying no. It's, yeah. It's possible. It's, it's a possible. Test. Can it's- you imagine that at this point, though? It's the you only know, thing standing in the way. I mean, it, it, it's a test of one man's stubbornness at this point. But if he wants to drag it out, I think what we're saying here is he probably could. Yeah, he probably could. I mean, it's it's something. Here's the thing about Robert Sarver. Do I believe he would do this for the, for the moral reasons that he believes he's wrong? No. In his own statement, he said he disagreed with some of the findings of the investigation. In his own statement about this investigation that's what he said i don't believe he's going to do this because it's the right thing to do i think the only way for him to do this is because he believes it's the best opportunity for him and for his own selfish reasons that could mean that maybe somebody comes out of the blue and says i'll pay you twice what it's worth right now if you just are gone because nba teams are not for sale that often and they have an opportunity to buy a team in a great market that's a huge opportunity for for an owner. I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, John Najafi. He said he didn't want to be a managing partner. I don't believe him necessarily. Uh, but maybe it's Bob Iger. That's something that we've talked about. Bob Iger has, has a group of people saying, hey, we'll buy it from you right now. We'll pay you more than it's worth. He's wanted to get into the NBA for a long time. He's close friends with Chris Paul. Maybe it's Bob Iger. Maybe it's LeBron and Chris Paul. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's LeBron and Chris Paul. Yeah. You know, like maybe these guys are like, hey, look, it's time. But... I think that it has to come from a decision of Robert Sarver. And that means that the public pressure, that means from pressure from the sponsor, pressure from the players, and all of that together has to amount to that. Because any other route that involves owners voting can be challenged in court. 
And that means that Robert Sarver has avenues to challenge all of that and make it as complicated as possible. So my understanding of all of this is, is Sarver has to make that decision. Since I've started talking about this essentially exclusively, feels weird to talk about basketball, but since I started talking about this essentially exclusively, I have heard from former employees of the Suns, including someone who told me they regretted talking to the investigators because of how disappointing the response was. I Yeah, I'm sure that's a common... I wouldn't be surprised if there were dozens of people who felt that way. Hundreds. Right. And just the situation that they're in where the NBA did not do enough, it's so unfortunate. It's so unfair. And it's just brutal for them to have to relive the experiences that they had to come to an outcome that they essentially regret that they even did it. It's really unfortunate. Sarver could drag this out. If he knows what's good for him, this will be relatively quick as a process. Um, I think one thing is clear. The tides have shifted in the past 48 hours in terms of public opinion. This is a big national story now, and it's not going away. And it includes all of the big players. And any hope that the NBA or or Robert Sarver himself had of uh, effectively burying this story, uh, that hope is gone. Like maybe, you know, maybe the basketball season starts on time and, you know, the players play and people stop talking about it as much after a certain amount of time, but people will not forget this. And there is no way that if, you know, Robert Sarver tries to cling on to his stake here and tries to remain owner, um, he's he's not winning the people over (laughs) ever again. No, it's it's over for him. It's over. It's it's 100% over for him, and he needs to know that. And, Uh, you know, I think it's possible he doesn't agree with that, though. Yeah. But he, he has to know at some point that this is not, it's done. He, but I he mean, never come back. He doesn't have fans in his corner. He doesn't have players in his corner. He doesn't have the league office in his corner, even though they kind of have to be because he pays them, right? But on a personal, on a public opinion level, he doesn't have them in his corner. And uh, increasingly, he doesn't have the owners in his corner either. Yeah. So he can try as hard as he might. But and, and the, look, book, the book is closed on the public opinion of Robert Sarver, the person. It's just the way it is. It's important for sponsors like paypal to be brave enough to put out some level of 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 statement like they did but having said that all of the sponsors in the nba i'd be surprised if any of them weren't having conversations with the league and with the suns behind the scenes and there's different levels of things that can happen right because i think the type of pressure as we understand it is public pressure the type of pressure that could honestly get Robert Sarver to sell, I think is more likely to come from private pressure. I think sponsors saying we could pull our sponsorship if Robert Sarver remains the owner. We won't put a statement out, but we could. That's more the kind of pressure that could have a massive impact because then that trickles down, right? Now owners start saying, hey, we don't want to lose this money either. What if we start losing money as a league? Now the league could put some pressure on him. Now other minority owners could put pressure on him. Now there's pressure coming from Mayor Kate Gallego, political pressure coming down on him. Of course, fans all hate him. (laughs) That's remained the same. Now they have a little more evidence as to why, but that's remained the same. And all of that pressure mounting, all of that together, if Robert Sarver does not sell the team, he's insane. He's completely insane. He should sell the team at this point. It's, It's a bizarre scenario where... You're hoping for a terrible man to make the right decision. But that's where we're at. I think I honestly don't know where else it could go from here other than more pressure mounting from players, more pressure mounting from from sponsors. But I think there is enough right now 
for Robert Sarver to know it's over for him and he needs to sell. So we'll see if if the if the horrible person makes the right decision in this scenario. A lot of stuff could still come out. A lot of stuff already did come out. But yeah, we'll continue to provide updates, one, I suppose, as they come. One last thing I want to mention, and I can't not do this because of the types of things that people are telling me. Jason Rowley is the CEO of the Phoenix Suns. And there is just this unanimous impression of him from everyone I've talked to, spoken to, who worked for the team, that he's part of the problem as well. Jason Rowley came out and condemned the statements about Robert Sarver after they came out. All of those ended up being true, and all those were proven true by hundreds of witnesses. And he's still the CEO of the Suns. And I think there's an element of this idea that suspending Robert Sarver for a year fixes the culture, but all the people he put in power remain the same. That's insane. Jason Rowley is just as responsible for this. I've said it the way I described it on Twitter. Robert Sarver may dictate the culture, but Jason Rowley reinforces it. And he's still there. And I think at some point in the future, we're probably going to hear some stuff about Jason Rowley. And at in some level, the entire Suns organization needs to clean house. And I don't believe that that's going to happen unless Robert Sarver is forced to sell as, as well. So we'll see what ends up being uh, happening with all this. But I did hear that, that Brian Windhorst mentioned Jason Rowley on his podcast today. Uh, Henry Abbott mentioned Jason Rowley on Twitter today as well. And I think more people should call him out by name because we need to find out what happened. And we need to find out what the NBA knows about what Jason Rowley did because I know for a fact that some of these people told the investigators about situations that happened with Jason Rowley and the, and the NBA is, of course, pinning it all on the one person that they suspended for just a year. So having said all that, more questions need to be asked about him is where I'll leave it. I think more questions need to be asked about Jason Rowley and my experiences that's supported by people at all levels of Sun's employees from the past. So that's all I have for that for now. Sam, do you got anything else before we go? No, I think, uh, I think that's all for today. Again, we'll continue to monitor stuff. will continue to come out. Um, we, again, we would like to come out with an eternal development episode. Uh, so, next well, week, I don't know we'll when see. the right time to talk about basketball is guys. I'm going to be hundred percent honest. I don't know when, we're, we're sort of floating through in all I of think this as well, so we'll find time. We'll find time next week based on the fact that the team has not, at this point, all come together and said, we're boycotting the season. We're going to operate under the assumption that they're playing basketball in about two or three weeks. Two weeks is when training camp opens. So, Yep. We appreciate you guys for listening, and we'll be back uh, with more yeah, soon, hopefully next week. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.